0: The following sermon is from New Life Baptist Church, where we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make, mature, and mobilize disciples of Jesus. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at newlifeba.org. I know we have some new faces in here, so just to catch you up this morning, we are going through the book of Ephesians this year. And so we started in January and we are now nearing the end. And so to get all the worth that we can out of it, this is part two of our passage this morning. And next week, we're going to have a part three to our passage this morning as well. God's word is an inexhaustible mine and treasure. And so we cannot ever, ever, ever begin to exhaust its wealth and its truth. And so with that being said, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter six, Ephesians chapter six. Verses ten through twenty. And as you're opening there, I'll share a quick story. If you're if you are an animal lover and are not a fan of hunting, go ahead and close your ears. Uh, I'll share a quick story, a, a hunt, quick hunting story. But a few years back. Um it was my first time to go out doing muzzle loader see, during muzzle loader season. And so a muzzle loader, if you it's black powder, if you you know think of the Revolutionary War, the way that they would load the gun. So you have the, the you have the powder, you have the projectile, and then you have the ramrod, and then you put it in there and you pack your uh, your muzzle loader. Well I, I I arrive at uh the land at the site where I'm going to hunt, and I realize that I missed a key element, a key element for hunting. I forgot to bring the black powder and so that uh, a little problem right right you can have the projectile but if you don't have any power uh, black powder then uh, a bit of a problem so i thought you know what maybe i maybe i'll, I'll improvise you know I had a quick quick fly so i had some rifle rounds and so i thought you know what if i if i take the rifle rounds off and i dump the powder in there maybe it'll work maybe to compensate because i didn't want to miss out on this hunting experience and so Lo and behold, you know, it's, it's the brisk morning. It's about five minutes after daybreak. The biggest buck I had ever seen in my life walks through the woods and no joke, 40 yards away, a shoe of a shot, no problem at all. And so I take, I aim, I get ready and I pull the trigger and I hear the, the, the sound that I never want to hear again in my life. I hear this and, uh, and literally you could see the projectile fall out of the end of the gun. There wasn't enough powder in the gun, and no joke, the deer, the buck, just stared at me for probably five to ten seconds, mm-hmm. thinking, is that, is that all you got, right? You know, and uh, it, why, why do I share that story this morning? Well, hey, it's hunting season, so be on the lookout, but uh, I, I share that story this morning because many of us kind of begin our days like I did, right? We, were, we begin our days unequipped for the battle that we face, And so as a result, we either stumble into avoidable sins or we miss gospel conversations and gospel opportunities that God presents for us during our days. So last week we studied Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. And uh, bear with me with my voice this morning. Uh, And so we looked last week at what it means to be strong in the Lord. But this morning we're going to continue our study through the whole armor of God. And we're going to learn how, yes, we're going to, Go look and look back how we are to be strong in the Lord, but also how we're to get ready by putting on the whole armor of God. And then also, finally, this morning, we're going to look at how we are to fight, fight the fight of faith in this battle that we find ourselves in. And so, again, Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. Let's read it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be be to God. God. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you now and we do. We remember, we confess, we are aware that we are right now at this very moment. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give me grace this morning, that I would take up the whole armor of God right now. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as I seek to to wield by faith the sword of the spirit this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would make it effective, that you would encourage hearts this morning, that you would convict, that you would challenge. And I pray that you would if there be anyone in here who doesn't yet know Jesus, that you would save them. And Father, I pray also that you would embolden us, not to be fearful, but to be fearless and to be strong in you and in the strength that you supply. Pray that you'd open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now to get us up to speed, I'm going to give a quick recap of last week. And so you'll notice in verse 10, Paul says, be strong, but notice how he qualifies that command, right? Do you remember? How are we to be strong? We are to be strong in the Lord. And so we, we can't be strong in the Lord, church, until we are weak in and of ourselves, You must first, right, remember and recognize your own powerlessness before you can experience the empowering grace of God in your own life. So we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But Paul also tells us that we are to get ready, right? We're to fasten on the whole armor of God. And so we need to be sobered and reminded that we are engaged right now in a spiritual battle. And so if this is a spiritual battle, and it is, then we must equip ourselves with spiritual armor and with spiritual weaponry. We are to get ready with the belt of truth. And so Paul likens truth to a belt because truth is what fastens and holds everything else together. Right. And so if we begin to loosen the truth, if we begin to capitulate against the claims of relativism in our culture or loose, if we lose the truth, then nothing else matters. Truth is what fastens. Truth is what holds everything together. We are in a war for truth and therefore we must fight and we must be girded up by the belt of truth. And so, again, we're recapping. We're going quickly. Next, we talked about how we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so on the cross, when Christ died for our sins, the Bible says that our sins were reckoned or that they were placed onto Jesus Christ. And so because he bore the punishment for our sin, because our sins were placed upon him, the Bible says that not only did he take our sins, but he took off his perfect righteousness and he now closed us with his own righteousness. And so listen, church, this is good news for every single one of us in this room. Because when God looks at you now, if you are in Christ, you are counted perfectly righteous in him. And and, and we noted that it's interesting that it is this, it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is to guard our hearts. Right? Because there are going to come days when when doubts or distress, or discouragement is going to come your way. There there are going to be days when you don't feel as though you are righteous. But when those days come, and they will come, listen and heed the words of Martin, Martin Luther when he said this. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and he declares that you deserve death and hell, you tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, son of God. And where he is, I shall be also. When the accuser comes at us with truth, it is true. I deserve death in hell. But we apply and we declare the truth of the gospel right back to him. And say, Jesus Christ, he made an end of all of my sin. And where he is, I shall be also. And so this is, church, why we must arm ourselves with the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. It's not our own righteousness that we put on. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are to wear every single day. And that's why it's important we preach the truths of the gospel to ourselves every single day. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is, what he has done, what he is doing in our lives, and what he will do to save us from our sin. All right, last thing to catch us up to speed, we're to put on the shoes of readiness, the apostle Paul says. And so every morning we are to strap on the shoes of the gospel because they give us stability. We talked about two things, right? Shoes give us. They give us stability to withstand against the schemes of the enemy. And they give us mobility to share the truth that Jesus saves all who will hear, believe and receive him as King and Lord. Okay, that gets us up to speed. Now we're to continue. I know that was, that was quick, uh, but we'll continue our study here. And the next piece of armor Paul tells us that we are to put on, it's the shield of faith. Notice with me, verse 16, what Paul says. He says what? Sometimes, when, when, only when you're out sharing the gospel, only when you're doing spiritual and religious things take up the shield of faith. Is that what he says? No, he says, in all circumstances, Take up the shield of faith. Romans 14, Paul would put it this way. He, he said, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so in all circumstances, church, we are to take up the shield of faith. That means, yes, when you are sharing the gospel, but also when you're working in front of your computer, when, when you're folding laundry in the evenings, when, when you're checking on your finances and balancing the checkbook, when, when you're struggling with sickness after sickness in your family, when you're disciplining your children, when you are discussing and maybe have disagreements with your spouse in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. But, but what, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to take up the shield of faith? What does it mean that everything that does not proceed from faith is sin? It means this. It means that we are to live in a God-centered, in a godward oriented kind of way such that our lives are centered upon him and they're oriented around him so that in three Ps that we depend upon his promises. We depend upon his presence and we depend upon his power in every situation. What does it mean to take up the shield of faith? It means that we depend upon his promises. We depend upon his presence and we depend upon his power in every situation we face life. This is a battle, right? It is so easy for us to forget. It is a battle we must wage to live a God-centered life and to take up the shield of faith. The Bible says that when we do that, though, we can extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. The next piece of armor Paul tells us to take on is the helmet of salvation. And so this shouldn't come as a surprise, but for Roman soldiers, the purpose of the helmet was to pr- protect the head from injury, right? Makes sense. But the reason why they would put this on was the, the greatest threat in battle was a large two-handed double-edged sword that measured about three to four feet in length. And it was often carried by cavalrymen, right? And so they would go throughout battle and they would seek to literally take the heads off of the, opponent, the, the opposing enemy. And so it's interesting that Paul ties salvation to the helmet. Salvation is to protect our minds, our thought life. And one commentator said it this way, the fact that the helmet is related to salvation indicates that Satan's blows are directed at the believer's security and assurance in Christ. The two dangerous edges of Satan's spiritual sword are discouragement and doubt to make us lose confidence in the love and the care of our heavenly father. So why does Paul again say the helmet of salvation? Because every doubt is sown first within our thought life. This is why we must guard our thought life with the truths of the gospel. And so then the reason we can take comfort, the reason we can take heart today is that that no matter what we face in life, our resurrected king, he sits enthroned right now, with all authority in heaven and on earth. And so we must put our trials and our tribulations in proper perspective. Then does does, does Satan, the the little G God of this world, does he still roam around? Yes, he does. Is sin, sickness and death still a reality in our lives today? Yes, it is. But listen, our victorious warrior King, he went to the grave and then he arose. He rose from the dead, triumphing over Satan, conquering our sin, and slaying the dragon of death. And so listen, what is true of Christ then is now true of us as well. Because there is coming a day, church, that just as Christ triumphed over Satan, there's coming a day when he will be thrown down into the fiery pit for all eternity. Just as Christ conquered our sin, there is coming a day where sin will be no more and where righteousness will reign for all eternity eternity and just as Christ slayed the dragon of death there is coming a day when the Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel with the sound of trumpets and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are all alive will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and the Bible says so we will also be with the Lord this is the future salvation that awaits all who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And so if you are in Christ, and we've gone through the whole book of Ephesians, right? That, That phrase continues to pop up throughout, in him, in Christ, in Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you're trusting in him alone for your salvation, you can face all things in life, including the grave, with absolute confidence in the God of your salvation. Because you know that neither life nor death nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor powers, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are to put on the helmet of salvation because it guards our thought life, which governs our actions throughout our day. May our thought life then be guarded by this helmet of who we are in Christ and what awaits us one day. Because we know that our salvation, it is held eternally secure in the nail-pierced hands of our resurrected Savior. This is the confidence we have in Jesus. Finally, Paul says that that not not only are we to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness, the shield of faith, the, 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 the helmet of salvation, but also we are to put on the sword of the Spirit and so listen, church, because we are held firm in the grip of Jesus, we are then, Paul says, to take in our own grip, the sword of the Spirit. And Paul here says that the sword of the Spirit, the weaponry this Holy Spirit uses to combat against the evil one, what is it? Paul says it's the word of God. Indeed, Jesus, he said that one of the main works of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the believers is to guide them into all the truth <clears throat> now if you're thinking maybe you're thinking right now how does some words how how can some words in a book really be equated to a power the power of a sword right how can just how, how can there be really that that much power in words but but if you're thinking that then let me remind you this is no ordinary book No, this right here, this is the inspired, the inerrant, the infallible, the very word of God that he has given to us today. The Bible would say in Hebrews 4 that the word of God, it's living and active, that it's sharper even than a two edged sword and that it's able to discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so if the enemy is called the father of lies, the only way we can combat him and we can strike him down is with the truth of God's word, with the sword of the spirit. Maybe, maybe to take you back a little bit, you remember in Matthew chapter four, yeah, Matthew chapter four, uh, making sure I had my reference, right? Uh, Matthew chapter four, how our own Lord fought against the devil for 40 days and 40 days. Nights. How did he fight against the devil? He did so by quoting the truth of God's word every time Satan tempted him. And so, listen, church, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. The three most powerful words that you have that are at your disposal in your greatest moments of temptation is this It is written. We fight. Temptation against sin with the power and the truth of God's word. So this is why we must give ourselves to memorizing scripture. Right? How, 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 how can we carry the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, if we don't first have God's word stored up in our hearts? And so I'm going to give you homework this week. I'm going to give you homework. I, 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 uh, uh, I, I previewed it in our prayer earlier, but I'm going to encourage you this week to take one verse a day, just one verse a day. it will take you about five minutes a day to memorize it. One verse a day this week and memorize Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 17. Just take one verse a day, five minutes, five to 10 minutes of your time, depending on how well you are at memorizing. Not long, it's not long, right? But who wouldn't take five minutes a day to arm themselves for battle, right? It seems like a no brainer, right? Because we need to remember church, we are at war which leads us to our final point this morning. That yes, we are to be strong in the Lord. Yes, we are to get ready by wearing the whole armor of God. But listen, church, Paul tells us then that we are to fight. We must fight. It it, it does no good if we dress ourselves for battle, but then we fail to actively engage in the battle, right? In other words, it's good to get ready. It's good for us to learn truth right? And, and we should be lovers of truth. We want to know God's word, but at the end of the day, we've got to fight. We've got to recognize that in Christ, not only are we children of the living God, but we're also soldiers in the Lord's army. And speaking of fighting, I'm, I'm fighting the urge to sing the kid's song, right? I'm in the Lord's army, right? Anybody else that coming to mind, right? Um, Okay, I'm not going to do it. Uh, But notice with me verse 12, what what Paul says, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And and so what what is the mission statement of our church? That we, we exist to see lives transformed by the gospel as we make mature and mobilize disciples of Jesus. We, we want to see people come to know Christ. We want to see people grow in Christ. And we want to see people used by Christ then to advance his kingdom. But listen, church, when we do this, we need to remember that we are engaged in a war against a formidable enemy. And so in order to push back darkness and in order to advance God's kingdom, we must remember that we are at War, and therefore, we must arm ourselves for this fight. <clears throat> Scripture is clear about Satan's very real in his personal existence. The Bible says that he was once the, the chief angel, the anointed cherub, the star of the morning, who sparkled with all the jewels of created beauty. That is before creation until he became intoxicated with pride and rebelled against his creator. And the Bible says that when he did this, when he fell with pride, when he rebelled against God's authority and tried to usurp his power, he, along with other fallen angels, followed his lead. It it, it was the evil one. It was Satan who first tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And so ever since that day, he, along with his demons, they have been tempting and corrupting mankind since the fall. What? uh, a lot of times I don't think we live in light of this reality, that there is a spiritual realm around us. And so we need to be made aware against his schemes, both his big picture attacks in our world and also his personalized attacks against you and me. And so what are his schemes? What are his attacks today? Well, we don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll just share two with you this morning. So big picture attack in our culture, in our world. We live in a day and age, right, that rejects truth and embraces relativism. We, we talked about that a little bit more last week. But as people of the truth, we need to guard truth, to be people who proclaim and defend truth in our world. But, but, but also we live in a time when, when God's beautiful design of sexuality and of the family are under full attack. Right, church? But while in maybe in previous decades, the, the, the enemy's schemes, he's always been active. He's always been fighting, right? But maybe his schemes were a bit more stealthy. But now he is waging an all of out frontal assault, especially against the most vulnerable in our culture, in our world today. And that is against the children. And so if you're a parent in this room, as I am, I just want to encourage you this morning to be vigilant in your guarding against the inputs and the influences that your children are exposed to because make no mistake, the world's attempt and really the, the enemy's attempt through the guise of the world, the, the enemy's attempt to sexualize our children at a young age. It is not a political issue that we can genially discuss among one another. No, it is a satanic attack that we must fight with spiritual weaponry. We must pray earnestly for our children And we must declare and defend the truths of God's word whenever and wherever necessary. And so listen, maybe some of you aren't parents, but maybe your grandparents. I I beg of you, pray for your grandchildren every single day. Pray that God would protect them. Pray that God would save them. Pray that God would grow them into greater Christ-likeness. Now, now, to be clear, when we use the language of fight, we we are never, ever, ever to resort to to any kind of physical violence or rhetorical bashing against another person. Because remember, church, we don't wrestle. We don't fight against flesh or blood, the Bible says. Our enemy is not people. Our enemy is the satanic ideology which opposes God as creator and which enslaves countless people in our world today. And so when we speak to those who are enslaved with this satanic ideology, we should do so Yes, in the truth, with the truth of God's word, but also with grace as we point them to the one who came to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And and I think it's a good reminder for us today to remember that Jesus came. He came to seek and to save the lost. Right, church? He, He didn't come to win intellectual arguments against the lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. So may we then remember that as we strap on the sword of the spirit, we also need to lace up the shoes of readiness to make known the gospel of peace. We we are to use the sword of the spirit, not to wound people, but to win people to Jesus Christ. But listen, this still means that we must speak, right? We're to be people of the truth. And so maybe back to the topic of protecting our kiddos. This means that it may mean that we take stands at school board meetings. It may mean that we sacrificially invest in alternative schooling options to educate our children in a Christian worldview. And it definitely means that we have to guard our kids, again, against the inputs. We guard the screens they see and we guard the books they read. And we're to guard the influences who seek to pervert God's good design for Their lives. This is not just some political battle taking place. Listen, this is an all-out assault against God as creator, against his created design. And we must, we must, we must engage in this battle with the sword of the spirit, armed with the whole armor of God, knowing, knowing that our children are at stake. We must be vigilant and wage war against the schemes and attacks of the devil in our world, but also church, We must wage war against the schemes of the evil one against us, the schemes that he uh, devises against us personally. In in his book, um, I don't expect you to know this author's name, but in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, uh, Puritan author Thomas Brooks, he shares different 12 different schemes that the enemy uses to try to entice us into sin. And so... Don't worry, I'm not gonna go through all 12 this morning. Uh, we only have time for one, but I wanna share one. And then in our newsletter, if you don't get our newsletter every week, um, let me know and I will, uh, I'll add you to our newsletter. But in the newsletter, I'll give you a summary of the book as well. I think it's really, really helpful. But, but, but Thomas Brooks, he says that one of Satan's schemes to, tr- to draw the soul into sin is to present the bait and yet hide the hook, to present the golden cup and hide the poison that's within it to present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin and to hide that soul against the wrath and the misery that will certainly follow when you commit the sin. And so Thomas Brooks, he says that one of the remedies against this device of the evil one is to keep at great distance from sin and from playing with the golden bait which Satan holds forth to catch you. And another remedy he says is, is to consider that sin will usher in the greatest and the saddest losses that can be upon our souls. It will usher in the loss of that divine favor, which is better than life. And it will usher in the loss of that joy, which is unspeakable and full of glory. The loss of that peace, which passes all understanding and the loss of those divine influences, which the soul has been refreshed quickened, strengthened and gladdened by so maybe, okay, let's, let's condense that. What was what he saying there? Sin will always overpromise, but it can never ever deliver. It will always promise you happiness. It will always promise you pleasure, prestige, comfort, and security. And it may provide some temporary reprieve for a moment, but listen, sin will always bring destruction upon your soul. That's why the Apostle Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And so listen, sin is not something to play with. And, and, and maybe some of you right now, maybe you are, maybe you're playing with sin. Maybe you've given it a little bit of quarter within your heart. As I shared a few months back, you cannot cuddle a cobra, right? Right? You cannot cuddle a cobra because it will kill you. The only thing that sin can produce within you is death. And some of you, maybe you're self-deceived right now. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I, 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 can, I can tolerate this. I can accommodate this in my life. You cannot. You must kill it within you. John Owen, the, the great theologian said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And Charles Spurgeon once said, if you become at peace with sin, sin has conquered you the the only way the only one who is powerful enough to dislodge the sin from your soul and the only one who is able to deliver you, you from the misery of sin his name is jesus christ the crucified the risen and the reigning savior and so this morning if if you are enslaved in sin This morning, if you are running from the Lord, you're a Christian, yet you're running from the Lord this morning. Then listen, this morning, right now, he offers to set you free from your sin. He offers to give you abundant life now and he offers to give you life eternal with him forever. And so I invite you this morning to turn from your sin, to turn from what is destroying you and to trust in Jesus Christ, the only one who can save you. In conclusion this morning, there's something you might have noticed about the armor of God. What's missing? What's not protected? The backside, right? The front fully protected, the back not protected. So what does that mean? It means, church, there is no room for retreat. How many of you have seen the movie The Patriot? Any anybody in this room? Okay, a couple of you, a few of you have seen that movie. If not, I think if you are okay with war movies, um, it, it, it's worth watching. It, it's a movie that chronicles the Revolutionary War. It's it's fictional, but it's based on true events. Um, obviously, the Re- Revolutionary War was a true event, uh, but uh, um, but it, it, it was uh, it chronicles the Revolutionary War between the newly formed United States of America and the British. And in the last scene of the movie, it. it the the, the the U.S., the United States, and the British are engaged in the final battle. And during this battle, it seems that all hope is lost as the British break through the American lines. Now, as the British are breaking through the lines, you can hear various soldiers shouting out to one another, retreat, retreat, as they run away from the battle. But then the main character of the movie, Benjamin Martin, who's played by Mel Gibson, He sees what is happening all around him. And then he grabs the flag out of the retreating flag bearer's arms. He grabs it. He storms the hill. He charges the hill. And with flag in hand, waving it all around, he yells, wait, no retreat. Hold the line. And as Benjamin Martin, as he stands atop the hill, waving this flag for all the troops to see, something amazing happens. These soldiers who were once retreating in fear and in defeat now turn around emboldened by their leader and they engage once again in the battle, in the fight, and they gain the victory. Listen, there there are some of you this morning who are being tempted to retreat and to give up in your fight of faith, just to give into your fight against sin. You're discouraged, you're losing heart, And you're wondering if it's even worth it anymore. Maybe some of you are, maybe one of somebody in this room, you're this close from walking away entirely. And if that is you, with everything I have within me, I urge you this morning, look to Jesus. Look to the author and the perfecter of your faith and see our victorious king, the one who stormed the hill of Golgotha for you. And look to the one who has waved his banner of victory all over your sin on the cross. As he declared these three words over you, it is finished. And then listen, church, listen to the resurrected king this morning as he says to you, wait, no retreat, no surrender. Hold the line, be strong in the Lord, put on the whole armor of God and fight By the strength that I supply. Because make no mistake, church, you can take this to the bank. We do not fight for victory in our lives. We fight from victory, from the victory that Christ has already won for us. The outcome has already been determined. And so may we then fight the good fight of faith with no retreat in our eye, knowing that when the battle is won and it will be won. And on that day when we see the face of King Jesus The Bible says that henceforth there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award us on that day. And so until that day, church, I encourage you, I challenge you. And more importantly, God's word says to you this morning, be strong, get ready, and fight. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please connect with us at newlifeba.org.